informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne perrott founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello, and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week, we are going to be talking about consent and whether dogs can give consent. Now, with me is the amazing LWDG group expert, Claire Denya, and the fantastic LWDG featured expert, Rob Elaine. So before we start, if you can both uh, introduce yourselves. Claire, if you'd like to go first. Yep, sure. So my name is Claire Denya, and with my husband, John Denya, we run Family Dog Services based in Maidstone in Kent. And Rob? I'm Robert Elaine. I run the Canine Instructor Academy. I'm a canine behavioural trainer. Fantastic. Now, when we discussed the topic for this podcast, shall I say, we all got a little bit excited, didn't we? So I'm, I'm going to try my very best to be professional and polite, but I do think the world has maybe gone ever so slightly mad. And I completely, and I say this on every podcast and every video I do, I completely get the theory of this, but it cannot work because for it to be consent, both parties have to understand what's going on. Mm. And, and one of the examples I've heard is, you know, if I want to take my dog for a walk, I have to proffer the lead. And if the dog comes forward, then it's given me consent to put the lead on and take it out. And if it hasn't come forward, then I can't give it, then I can't put the lead on it and I can't take it out because it didn't give me consent. Well, for that to be effective, the dog has to understand what all of the possible repercussions are. And I'm just not convinced my dog will think that far ahead. Well, if I don't go out now, where am I going to poo? And where am I going to pee? And my owner's going to be late for work and all those repercussions. The dog doesn't understand any of those. So I don't think his consent should be relied upon. So I think what has to happen is it's like being a parent with a child to say to my five-year-old, you can go and play outside and go as far as you want to and stay out for as long as you want to. I'd never see him again because he'd make very poor choices because he's just a child. I'm the parent and I have to have the foresight to know all those repercussions and say why he can't do that. And I think with our dogs, we have to do the same. We understand the repercussions of the choices that the dog may or may not make. So we have to help him to make better ones. So when I ask my dog if he wants to come out, I need him to understand that it wasn't really a request in the same way that I would say to my child, can you go and do your homework? And my child understand that he doesn't have the opportunity to say no. I think anything other than that would be disastrous. Claire. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and I wrote a few notes on this um, when I when we decided we were going to do a podcast on this because there were a few things that I really felt were important. And you've just touched on this. And, and I said for, for the for a dog to give consent, it would have to 
have a choice bit provided, it would have to understand the difference in the choices or the options that were there, and then be able to communicate to us to tell us what choice they've chosen. And the whole that whole thing together to me of you know the dog giving us permission um for an action to happen or for something to occur i mean it's dangerous information i think that's that's kind of when i thought about it and i thought so what am i thinking of this the the dog has to understand what the choice is has to understand that they have a choice. We've got to read the dog to understand what choice they're making. It's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous ground. And I I understand the theory, and we talk about that a lot. Rob, I'm taking the words out of your mouth when I say that. But in reality, this just isn't going to end well for the dog in so many cases. I've got to be honest, I don't even understand the theory. And I'm going to be really <laughs> brutal on it, right? Because within the LWDG, we do our utmost to be accommodating of all types of training styles. Of you know, we have a, a very simple thing that says as long as it doesn't physically or emotionally hurt the dog, we are open to the concept of whatever you training you're doing. Because we are a large group with many different ideas and sharing the ideas works incredibly well for us because we learn from each other. That being said, when I researched this topic, because like you, Claire, I wanted to understand, I put into Google giving consent and I madly didn't put dogs giving consent, which I should have. And it brought up this thing about, which completely irrelevant, people who've had a drink, one drink cannot give consent to have sex. Now think about that. A person who's had one drink cannot give consent to have sex, yet we are now saying that we can find ways of a dog giving consent to everything in, in life. Where is the thinking going on here, without getting overly like passionate about it? And why are we going there in the first place? So the thing is, um, consent training cannot work in the same way that uh, positive-only training cannot work neither in the real world exists. There is no such thing as positive only training. And the reason is when you get your new puppy at eight weeks old, you put a collar on it. No puppy wants to have a collar around its neck. It will rigor and struggle and try and get it off. But we put it on because we know sooner or later we're gonna to need to attach a lead. Then when we put that lead on that puppy, that is also not positive only. Puppy refuses to move because he hates it. No puppy hit pubescence and went, Please, can you take me to the vets and new to me? I never want to have children. <laughs> this is not positive. We don't positively only bring them up. It's impossible. If you take your young dog out and he wants to chase a squirrel across the road, you don't let go of the lead because being positive only, I can't restrict him. You restrict him and you say, you can't do that. So when we say we're positive only, what we really mean is we're not positive only. We will use aversives, but we'll only use the ones that we as an individual are comfortable. And the same is true with consent training. If I say my dog has to give me consent to stop him from running out into the road after that cat or that dog on the other side of the road, well, he's not going to give consent. He's gonna pull the lead out of your hand. So you have to stop him. You didn't wait for consent. You said you can't do that. So this principle of consent training being that I can't do anything with the dog without his consent is a myth. What you're gonna say is there are some things I'm going to do only with his consent and the rest he's going to do it whether he likes it or not which you know what 
That's the same as the rest of us do. Claire will say to her dogs, do you want to go out? And she looks for them for consent. And sometimes they'll run forward and go, oh, yes, please. But if they go, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to stay at home, she'll put their collars and leads on and take them out. <laughs> she asked for consent, but they don't really have a say. And that's just real life. And consent-only trainers will tell us that that's how they train their dog. But I guarantee if you put a camera on every single one of them and film them all day, you'd find dozens of times, just like the rest of us, where the dog is made to do it, whether he consents or not. They don't, you don't go in their house and find it's covered with poo because the dog decided he wasn't going to go outside today. They chucked him out just like the rest of us. This whole like topic of consent is proper getting my goat. There's very few things that like agitate me, but like, for example, you will see dog groomers go in understandably mad on social media because somebody hasn't groomed their dog. So if the person's argument is my dog didn't give consent to be groomed, but then that's now ended up in neglect and the dog need to be clipped out. You know, was you right to not groom the dog because the dog didn't give consent? And did the dog, like Rob say, know the repercussions that if you didn't groom him, he was going to turn into a walking mat? You know, we are now saying something which I completely disagree with, which is, Dog, I am now not going to help you make good choices. I'm going to leave you to mess it up for yourself daily. But you see, Joe, to use the analogy you just gave, he wouldn't get to the point where he had to go to the groomers and have his coat stripped because he wouldn't give consent for that either. So, so what would happen to that dog? He'd just end up a mat that would never be clipped because he'd never say, oh, can you please now take me to the groomers? Because he doesn't like going. So what would happen to that dog? What will happen is the RSPCA will, will get a call, they'll come around, they'll seize the dog from you and they'll take him and do it anyway. But it'll be because you weren't allowed because he never gave consent. All those dogs who, who don't want to go out for their first walks um, because they're scared of going out. So you take them out the first time, they realize what the lead is, they don't want to go out again. Would we just never walk those dogs again? It's just insanity. And I don't believe there is a single consent trainer out there who would say, well, if you've got a dog who a long-haired dog who doesn't want to be groomed, you can never groom him again. Any one of those would be liable to prosecution in my book for causing unnecessary suffering. But if we stuck to their rhetoric, you would not be able to groom that dog. It's true. Um, I'm going to throw a slightly different edge on this now, just because Ooh, I thought it would be we fun We like a different to. edge. <laughs> <laughs> so... I hear the word consent used a lot when I read things on forums, on blogs, things like that. And I read it and I think that's not actually consent. Some people are saying they're using consent-based training, but they're actually not. They might be counter-conditioning. They might be desensitizing, but they're saying they're giving consent, but they're not because their end, end result goal the dog will not have a choice down the road. But in that moment, they're only going so far because they don't want to push the dog into maybe feeling really, really fearful. Let's say that. So I think there is an element of people using the word consent training, but they're not using consent training actually at all. They're training the dog through desensitization and counter conditioning, but they think they're waiting for the dog to give consent, but they're not. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Absolutely. So the dog goes out on his first couple of walks. He becomes frightened of traffic, doesn't like the noise, says, I don't want to go out. So what should happen is they should say, OK, well, then you never have to go out again. 
Yeah. No, exactly as you say, what they do is they then start playing CDs with sound effects on them, but just playing them at a low volume and then maybe just coercing him into the front garden when he said, I don't want to go out. And they gradually manipulate him through training into the point where he will go out. But as you say, that is not the same as consent. It's not, but people are using that word when they talk about it a lot. And another another way that I've heard, I was talking to an owner with a rescue dog. It was a dog that was imported from abroad. And I was explaining to the owner that the dog needed to be given some time to adjust and some time to just decompress, get used to the fact it's, you know, been taken from the streets, brought to another country, it's now living in a house. It's never lived in a house before. The dog just needs to be given some time. And he said, oh, so we're going to do consent training. I said, no, <laughs> we're not. Once we once we have got this dog relaxed and once this dog is comfortable with being in your home and around you, we're going to train the dog, but we're not going to be using consent training. So, again, I think that's another example of where that could be misunderstood because you see what happens is they see it on social media yeah and so by the time they even get to you owners already know about this stuff mm -hmm. they'll know about it almost before we do because they're on, on social media all the time what if we're saying uh consent based training is desensitization and counter conditioning that's got a place and we're all using it anyway on dogs where there is a issue already there mm -hmm. what is Getting my goat is when you're on social media and you're seeing young dogs who have no issue being groomed, yeah. example, being encouraged to give consent to be groomed when the dog didn't have a problem with it in the first place. And I'm just like, why are you putting this up as an example of you doing consent-based training when it's not even needed, it's not appropriate, and it's just totally goddamn pointless? How many dogs come forward going, oh, mum, can you clip my claws today, please? They're a bit long. No, no dog's ever going to give consent for that. So now what happens is we don't clip them, but now he's walking around on his claws. And I've worked back in my animal welfare days with dogs whose claws have grown right round and grown back into their feet. Now, it's getting infected. And everything. Imagine if I have to wait for that dog to give me consent to clip those. Well, he'll die as a result I, I of the infection. Yeah, I can give you a real life of this. Rob, you know very well, my youngest Labrador, Rose, absolutely hates having her nails clipped. So, Joe, this goes on the theme of what you said about grooming. She hates it. Now, I don't know why she hates it, because from a puppy, she went to a groomer to experience being handled by a groomer. She had her nails clipped there. I've handled her at home. I touch her paws all the time. And then she just doesn't like, she doesn't like it. She can't bear to look. But it was pretty bad. I remember sending Rob a video and saying, there's actually no reason. I've never cut her. She's never bled. There's no reason for her to not like this. But it's not optional. Sadly, out of my three Labradors, she's the only one whose nails grow really fast. The other two, they never need clipping. And they, neither of them mind having them clipped. Rose hates it, and sadly, hers grow quite quickly, regardless of the exercise and doing road walks. You know, hear, you hear all these people saying, well, do road walks, they won't need doing. She does road walks, they still need doing. Um, 
So it's not optional. They have to be done. So I did go through a process of some desensitization and counter conditioning. And she still hates it, but she does it. She tolerates it. She's rewarded for having it done. And we've made a little bit of a game out of it. We always, at the end, finish with her retrieving the nail clippers. Then that's when she knows that it's over. But at no point could I say, well, she needs to give me consent. Her nails would be dangerously long by now if I had allowed that to happen. If you think about it, though, the first time um, a pup is literally violated is when it's born and its mother, whether it wants to, grabs it. It's only it's just born, licks it to death, licks <laughs> its backside, licks its face. As they grow up every day, she grabs them and she forces them to go to the toilet. And they literally, bless the little arse, they don't lay there enjoying it. They squeal. They just want to go back to the milk seat. They really don't want it done. Okay. So a dog's, even to keep on the grooming theme, dogs experience when it comes to your acres or the grooming is not in any way fun it's been like abused by its mother now if you think about it like that what we then do when we gently like brush it with his coat leave its bits alone pretty much all the time and try to look after it is nothing in in relation to the experience it's had but it still does need to have it done like you said cutting claws has to be done you know and sometimes in life whether we want things to be done or not, they've just got to be done. They're not negotiable. But that, that's kind of, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And um, what's happening, Joe, is that people will say, no, I'm a consent trainer. I only do things with my dog when he gives consent. And then you'll look at that dog and its claws are beautifully pedicured. And you think, hmm, how did that happen then? And she say, do you, do you never clip his claws? Oh, well, yeah, I, I do that. Um, but, but, you know, that has to be done. And I said, well, then, but that's not consent, is it? Well, no, but obviously it's not. And I get this like with positive only trainers. I say, well, but if you put a lead on him and make him go the route you want, that's not positive only, is it? Well, no, it's not. But, you know, I try to be as positive as I can. And I said, well, then you're not a positive only trainer. You're a try to be as positive as I can only trainer, which is not the same thing. And I think it's exactly the same with consent training. It's consent right up until the point it's not practical for me to be consent. And then I will do it anyway. But then isn't, if you think about it, isn't that label or, or labels, the rest of us, because the rest of us are doing exactly Imagine. the same thing. <laughs> we We're all concentrating. Trying to give our dogs the best life experience we possibly can. If, for example, going back to your squirrel crossing road, whether the dog likes it or not, it has to stop. It can't give consent to do it because it's going to die and it's against the law. And having a collar on is, is, the, is the law. And, you know, all these things, we can't remove them for the dog's life because to do so would be neglectful. So why are we now giving them, um, I don't know, labels as I'm a consent-based trainer, I'm a positive-only-based trainer? Well, actually, no, you're none of those things. You're just a trainer like the rest of us. Mm. If you want to mess with people's heads, what you do is you say, we are all consent trainers and we are all positive only trainers because we're just like the ones who actually use those titles. Because what they do is they use that title and they follow through with that principle, except when it's not practical to do so, in which case they do the same as the rest of us, which is what we do. I'm positive only with my dog, except when it's not practical to be positive only and then I'm not positive only. And that's just what they do. Yeah, I'm completely positive only. Oh, except when I want to get him across the road and he doesn't want to go. 
or except when I need to groom him and he doesn't want to be groomed, or except when, just like the rest of us, I'll say to my dog, do you want to go for a walk? And he goes, oh, yes, please. But if one day he said no, I'd say, get your ass and gear, we're going out, I'll get his lead and put it on him and take him anyway. And that's what really they're all like. They just want a label that suggests they're something different, when in fact, they're really not any different. And if they were, they wouldn't be able to keep their dog. It wouldn't be living with them very long because it would make terrible choices. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm just going to give an example here. You get a lot of people that say about consent training. Now, if your dog has an injury, gets really injured out on a shoot day perhaps or anything like that, you're not going to wait for the dog to give consent to treat that dog, are you? You're just going to get on with it. You're going to restrain the dog. You're going to do what needs to be done to save that dog's life. So it's just not, I get in theory with certain things, you might want to go through a process of the dog liking you and allowing you to do certain things. But again, this comes back to, well, actually you're desensitizing the dog to it then, aren't you? Because you're getting the dog to a point where the dog goes, oh, I'm all right with that now. And you've trained that. That's not consent. And I think we've just got to stop using all this terminology that makes owners confused that makes owners get so confused that they're doing wrong by their dog when actually they're not doing wrong by their dog they're doing the right thing by their dog and owners are worrying about was the dog didn't give me consent the dog didn't do this the dog didn't do that and they're just it's we're making life so difficult for owners and I don't see the benefits of it for for example if you're going to give your dog a true life of consent you better open the door and pray that your unneutered dog doesn't smell a dog four miles away and doesn't come back for three weeks while it goes and does its business. And then it might not come back because it might have found somebody else somewhere else that was providing it with, you know, additional food. Some farm had started putting food up for it. So now it's quite happy living there because it's got freedom and it gets food every day. You know, it's just mind boggling. So I don't like to have a podcast where we like, say, stop the nonsense. But this is probably the one where I definitely do want to say just stop the nonsense just have a conversation with yourself about what is it that you're trying to do because if you're saying i'm trying to train my dog in a kind and loving way we can all sign up to that yeah so i don't want i don't want to push my dog into anything i'd like to to give it time to get accustomed to a lead or get accustomed to getting in the car we can all sign up there we're all there behind you clapping you but then please don't put the word on it oh i'm consent based training my dog yeah. As, as Claire said, and she's absolutely right, for it to be consent, both parties have to fully understand the repercussions of the choices. You know, your dog would have to understand the repercussions of just walking out the front door and you not being able to stop him. He'd have to understand that he might get stolen, he might get hit by a car, he might get attacked by other do dogs. And if he understood all those, he might make the choice to not go out the front door. But of course, he doesn't understand any of those. So he just runs out and gets hit by the first passing car. There's no way any consent only dog trainer would allow that to happen they won't give him consent they'll prevent him from running out the door and they're not going to stand there with some treats saying well you can choose the treats and choose to stay with me or you can run out the front door they're not going to do that so what's the point in calling yourself a consent, consent trainer if you know there are a huge number of things that you won't give the dog the choice to concede on but what's the point it is difficult then to think i fully agree with you there is no point but I agree also then with what Claire said in the fact that in doing so, you are causing new owners to be even more confused on what it is they are meant to be doing with their dog. 
there has to be trainers who go, well, actually, I'm not going to give this the, the label of I'm a consent-based trainer because it's better for the owners not to get confused. I don't, I, I don't know why we've got into this thing of making this more complicated. You just described it perfectly. When those puppies are born, mum's not going to sit there waiting, tongue lolling, to see if they give consent for her to wash them. She's going to, just going to get on with washing them whether they like it or not. Uh, and they're just going to have to get used to it because that's how real life works. I can remember being a child and not wanting to have my hair combed, not having to have my wash, face washed. You just have to do these things. It's madness to suggest that we should give the child the option. It will make terrible choices. And a dog has even less foresight than my child. It just doesn't make any sense. We're making things way too complicated. And there's a reason I say all the time why we've done all this crazy stuff with dogs. And the number of dogs going into rescue is at unprecedented levels. The number of dog attacks goes up year on year. We've had more deaths from dogs this year, and we're still only just into October, than we had last year. This isn't working. We can see this is not working. Dogs have no, no self-control. And as a result of that, they're making bad choices. And I always say the majority of problems I see as a behavioral trainer are dogs with no self-control. It's not that they're aggressive. It's not that they've got separation anxieties. Those are the symptoms. The problem is the dog is not being brought up with any self-control and consent training is just another very dangerous step down that road. So I cannot endorse uh, consent training as a concept. It's fundamentally massively flawed. And to me, anyone who can't see that probably shouldn't be working with an animal capable of killing us. That's my opinion. I have nothing to add on that at all. I, you know, I, I, I entirely agree. I entirely agree as well. And I think that's sort of where we can bring this week's podcast to a close. If you don't agree, please go along to our um, LWDG blog. The link to this podcast will be there. Write in the comments your thoughts. You know, give us the, the ideas that you have around it because we are an open community. And if there's something that you can add that you think disproves our thoughts on this, we really would like to read them. And I mean that sincerely. Mine's are best, like, uh, best used like a parachute, keep them open. And we do do that as a group. Um, if you want to find out where any of our other podcasts, please go along again to the website. It's www.thelwdg.com. You'll be able to find all our free content there. There's loads for people to read, loads for people to listen to. I'd like to thank you both for this podcast. I'd like you both for keeping it incredibly professional because I do know that we are probably even more passionate about this topic when the record button isn't on than we have been today. Um, <laughs> Um, but, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> if you are somebody who's tried to consent-based train their dog and you are struggling, please contact us again and we will try and help you find some free resources or help you with the membership to find a way forward to make sure that your relationship with your dog trains, turns into something really positive and really beneficial for the rest of the dog's life. Thank you very much for listening and we hope to speak to you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Poddog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we will show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. 
Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post. Or visit www.thelwdg.com.